Bitcoin podcasts and crypto podcasts mostly serve to um, uh, provide the crypto industry and their followers with sort of a a routine. Um, people in crypto and Bitcoin have some common assurance, and so there's podcasts that that uh, come on regularly now. Um, I also believe that that the space is so con at you know um, a very fast pace that things are changing. New big, you know new cryptos are entering the space, new ideas. That there's all kinds of activity. Something's blowing up. Something's getting hacked. There's all sorts of podcasts in in Bitcoin and crypto that explain the technology, this explain the new cryptos and the new tools. Uh, so that's why they exist. Now, if you're curious about the industry as a whole, you're looking at a wide variety of, of Bitcoin or crypto podcasts. There's this one that I like, uh, Blockchain Debate Podcast. Um, and then, um, you know, but if you're just, you know, a Bitcoin maxi, perhaps you're going to limit yourself just to Bitcoin podcasts, right? Just to your daily sermon. I like to say, you know, there's the daily sermon podcasts that are just meant for people who, you know, can't really think. Um, they're just there to get emotional support, uh, to keep hodling their Bitcoin. They don't really want to learn anything new. And these, you know, there's, there's plenty of people in the Bitcoin space who can fill this this need for you, right? Somebody just going to tell you it's okay, keep hodling, just to stick your head in the sand, right? And to not have any criticism or skepticism, um, right? To denounce other cryptocurrencies, to not be curious. There's plenty of people, you know, in the Bitcoin maxi space who will, um, you know, provide that for you. This is sort of the daily sermon. But then there's more interesting podcasts. You know, Nick Carter, Matt Walsh have the On the Brink podcast. This is sort of a, um, from an investor's perspective, but a private, you know, equity. They run like a VC fund or an early stage, you know, investor fund. And they talk about, you know, money flowing into the space, who's getting um, funded, which companies are being started. They have a very broad, diverse, you know, um, group of company founders they interview, right? Mining companies, uh, companies doing NFTs, all kinds of stuff. Um, Nick is, you know, he's a thinker. He's a pretty good thinker, I'd say. Um, he is not without his faults. I think he's incredibly biased. And of course, every single person that you're going to be listening to, uh, you know, including me, uh, talk about crypto is going to have a bias. But if you're if you're listening to one of these pro Bitcoin or pro crypto podcasts, who are funded right by all these crypto Bitcoin companies, uh, know that they're incredibly biased. Right, uh, I might be biased to the skepticism side; they're biased to the promotional side. So I saw this tweet by Meltem, and she basically said, "Don't you get tired of listening to all these podcasts? These crypto podcasts are just too many," and that's kind of true. There's too many. There's too many um, bad podcasts, right? There's there's some good ones, uh, and I think that our 99%, you know, is bad. I don't, I don't think that's the right 
right numbers, probably like 90% is bad, but um, she's, she's correct. But she also is coming at it from an insider's perspective, somebody who's been around the space a long time, uh, you know, finance background. So she knows a lot more than, than the average person who might be listening, you know, to a podcast and wanting to be learning about the space, her whole job, right? She's like this analyst or something, right? She runs a VC fund. She's a partner. Her whole job is to like be ahead of the trend or be ahead of the space to, to understand concepts and new ideas in crypto uh, before anyone else does so that they, you know, her company can jump on it, right? And invest. So she's going to be, if she's listening to podcasts, she's most likely listening to something she's already researched, right? Already knows about. Um, it's not going to help her, right? Other than to get a broad view of you know, what is the broad crypto market currently dissecting? You know, what are the participants in the in, that participate in the crypto space? What are the data? What are they learning about maybe for the first time? Um, so, uh, you know, so, so for her, she's coming at it from a different point of view. Um, but I think, I think there's some good ones out there for sure. Uh, and I think part of it is this is a new industry. It's it moves incredibly fast, and there's new, you know. I like to criticize the space, but there's all kinds of new uh, innovations or new, you know, businesses that are that are forming that are trying to take advantage of the space. Um, you know, being able to launch a token, uh, provide some kind of service around it, pump it up. There's all kinds of new things constantly being uh, launched, and there's also a lot of people who highly technical who are working on solutions, right? Technical solutions to problems in code or, or whatever, or in cryptog cryptography that, you know, that, that interests me a little bit less, but uh, nevertheless, it does have, it, you know, it is going on. Um, so I want to point out this, this one, you know, uh, Bitcoin debate that I just listened to with um, Pomp and, Mike Green, uh, Barry Weiss was the host. It was actually quite good. They brought up a lot of points. Uh, Mike Green brought up a lot of points that I agreed with uh, that a lot of people don't talk about. And, you know, number one was just this idea that the old guards in Bitcoin, they benefit so much from, from attracting new people, new participants in Bitcoin. And this is always just sort of ignored. And the, the Bitcoiners have no response to this but he's just like hey to the extent that pomp is you know evangelizing bitcoin he doesn't really mention that the old guards have this huge financial incentive to bring people in also he brought up the idea that you know the bitcoiners want to trust this algorithm right this bitcoin algorithm that just was created they don't want to explain you know why it works the way it does why the monetary policy is the way it is uh it's just trusting an algorithm. And I think he mentioned something about, you know, a currency and the demand side. And while I don't really agree that, you know, we should, we should have a central bank banker necessarily like fluctuating um, or, or managing sort of the money supply in a way that's manipulative, right. That, that tries to set the price of money, right. I agree more with pomp on that respect. But the Bitcoiners totally miss the idea that they've just set this algorithm in motion for their money supply, right? For their quote money supply. 
and that the scarcity is going to be enough, right? That the, the, the demand doesn't matter. And I totally disagree with that. And I also don't trust algorithms either. I don't want to live in a world where it's run by algorithms and where we worship math, right? I want to live in reality. I don't want to live in some virtual reality. Uh, at the very end of the podcast, they talk about this idea that Bitcoiners want to like escape, right? To, to this virtual world and like, they just want to leave other people behind. My opinion of this is that they want to try to solve all their problems with technology, right? That, that should be solved politically. So I disagree with the Bitcoiners ideology in that respect. Another criticism of from Mike Green was that Bitcoiners always are picking like certain timeframes in hindsight to say, oh, you should have bought Bitcoin. Obviously, picking something in hindsight is just stupid. I mean, anyone can go back in hindsight and say, look at this time frame. But if you look at another time frame, right, you might lose, have lost money if you bought Bitcoin. Um, Mike Green said Bitcoin's a speculation, right? The dollar isn't really a speculation, which is true. Uh, Bitcoiners are not being honest about adoption numbers. In my opinion, they fudge these, right? They don't really say, well, they even define adoption. They're looking at transactions, right? But this can be just between themselves. This, there's no way to, to know what adoption means. Does it mean actually paying for real goods and services? I highly doubt it. Um, it's just a way to advertise. The idea that Bitcoin's mostly in hands of whales, right? And that early adopters, again, were the beneficiaries. And this idea that hardly anyone mentions, but it's it's so obvious when you think about it. The whales of Bitcoin, they buy up the supply and they try to take it off the market for the express purpose of manipulating this market higher, right? To manipulate the price higher. This is the whole idea of HODL, right? And what Michael Saylor's been doing. Um, there's more good stuff that I didn't write down here that I guess I've maybe forgotten. Um, but those are my, those are basically my favorite arguments that he made. So moving on, uh, Sailor has given up his CEO role. Now he's still like an executive chairman, I guess on the board. Should have done this a long time ago, right? All he cares about is Bitcoin. Does anyone really think he's still running the company day-to-day -day operations? I think he still has legal liability. That was my first thing that came to my mind was, can we still sue Sailor, sue Mr. Sailor? I think the answer is yes, right? He's, he's, I don't know if he gave up any of his stock, right? Or his controlling votes, but he's on the board apparently. So um, I think he still has legal liability, which is a good thing because I think eventually this man will be sued if there's justice in the world, which maybe we won't have justice. Next comment, Lynn Alden is not to be trusted. So she tweeted out something about Bitcoin being more efficient than our legacy financial system. More efficient and automated. Um, I don't know what she's talking about here, right? Because um, Bitcoin doesn't finance anything. It doesn't replace our financial system. And um, it's not efficient by any means, I don't think. I mean, transfers uh, of Bitcoin... There's no one guaranteeing you you'll be able to transfer your Bitcoin anywhere, right? It takes about 10 minutes a block and you have no idea who who might censor your transaction at the, you know, Bitcoin miner level. 
just a ridiculous statement. And this just sort of proves, you know, you just have to laugh at this person. Like maybe she's got a good economic takes, good economic insight, but you have to remember she's incredibly, incredibly biased. She's paid to promote Bitcoin. She's paid by Swan. I know she's one of their advisors. Um, she goes on all kinds of podcasts and just remember, maybe she's got some good insights, but she's highly biased in favor of Bitcoin. She's trying to promote it, right? So she's not being honest. We can't trust anybody who's pro-Bitcoin because we don't know if they're being honest. And I just have to disagree. Like if someone says something blatantly like untrue, you have to realize they're, they're being dishonest. How can she claim just flat out that Bitcoin is more efficient and automated than our financial system? Well, number one, no one knows what she's talking about here. But if we just take a very broad idea of what she's talking about without defining it, it's clearly wrong. <laughs> All right. Uh, same goes for Saifedean, same principles. He came, he came from a uh, traditional you know, economic background. Lynn Alden came from an engineering slash finance background. But he, um, he might have some good takes. But just remember, he's trying to shill Bitcoin. And you know, I just have to point out, his takes are incredibly bad. Um, he's why is Saifedean now like saying that Bitcoin can help help Africans, right? When the price is high, why didn't he do that when the price was hundred dollars, right, or a thousand? Why is he just now mentioning the fact that Bitcoin can somehow help the third world and Africans? So he tweeted out his recent podcast he does with some African, right? talking about how it can replace their currency because they're using like the Swiss franc. And I don't know the history of this, right? But he's he's claiming that it's exploitation by the French. I feel like there's more to this story, right? Than, than what meets the eye. Um, and, you know, you're just replacing it. You're replacing this currency that maybe wasn't native to the country, but there's a reason why they had it. Maybe not just because of colonial times, maybe because... These people can't be trusted, right, to have a stable currency. Maybe the best thing for them is to have someone else use someone else's currency. I'm not saying that's a great solution, but maybe it's the best for them. <laughs> but you're replacing this, this foreign currency, right, that you use in your country with Bitcoin. How is that any better? Like, Saifedean needs to explain why this is any better, right? And in my opinion, he's doing something pretty disgusting, right? He's trying to sell Bitcoin to um, Africans, to third world people, to enrich himself. And again, back to Mike, Mike Green's point, why do any of these Bitcoiners do what they do? They're self-interested, right? And they never admit this. This seems obvious, right? But people who are new to the space, right, who are listening to Saifedean for ed, quote unquote education, don't know, right? Don't know to question it. They just you're sometimes blinded. You think someone's trying to really help you, but you really need to be thinking about is how they're trying to screw you over and maybe not screw you over, but how are they profiting, right? How are they profiting? Question their motives, question what they're saying, right? Maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not going to help these Central African countries to adopt Bitcoin. My opinion, it definitely can't help, but, you know, Saifedean is a really really um disgusting man in my opinion he he's one of these guys that thinks he's always right and he'll have a debate with somebody on twitter 
and get into this, you know, verbal fight sort of name calling. Uh, but he's, he's just a guy that you would, you know, and I read part of his book, the first part of his book, Bitcoin Standard was all about gold and the history of money. And it seemed okay, right? And I didn't even finish it. But it seems like the guy, he's obviously lying, like for his own benefit, right? I don't know how he believes the stuff that he believes. Perhaps he's been conned into it himself. But I tend to think that he's sort of manipulating people. And um, especially the third world. There's no way this kind of economist could actually think that a volatile currency like Bitcoin that wasn't created by the Africans, like if the Africans don't like the Swiss franc because it's foreign, why would they like Bitcoin? These They should treat, if they're thinking that, that the Swiss franc or whatever, you know, was a form of colonization, they, the idea that they still use this, this currency in their nation voluntarily, I might add, I think it's voluntarily. Why would they replace that with a different kind of colonization? Colonization by Bitcoiners, right? How is it that this African doesn't see that? And well, because he's been, he probably gets paid to do this. But how does Saifedean not see that? Because Saifedean is sort of an idiot, right? He's kind of a laughing stock in a way. Like he comes across as this economist, but then he's got some really, really dumb things that he says and some obviously self interested things that you could only like think he does because he's self interested, self motivated, right? Which this, you know, I haven't even watched this interview but I probably will, or at least part of it, you can obviously see that he's just there to shill Bitcoin. He just, he's interested in getting a rich himself. He doesn't give a shit about black, black people, Africans in the third world. He doesn't give a shit. He knows Bitcoin's volatile and he's suggesting that these poor Africans adopt it. You know, this is a disgusting person. Safety. He deserves absolutely zero respect. He should understand that he should not be shilling this right to the third world, right? And he doesn't give a shit. He just wants to enrich himself and other Bitcoiners. This is the main point that Mike Green made was that the Bitcoiners never explain how they're so self-interested. They just, they just assume that they're doing this thing out of the goodness of their heart. That's a bunch of BS. These are libertarian types. They have no feelings. They have no empathy. They have no sympathy. I kind of understand where they're coming from. I'm low on empathy and sympathy too. I'm a libertarian myself. And I can tell you that none of these people give a shit, right? Give a shit about anybody in Africa. They're worried about themselves, number one. And if they can pretend like they give a shit about people in Africa and also shell them Bitcoin to get enriched themselves, they will do so as a cover. But that's it.